Come on, we are in the book of Acts. If you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We get excited about the Word of God. You know, in our last service, we had 28 pastors visiting from South Korea, and it was amazing to have all these leaders, pastors that were in Tulsa uh, for something at ORU, but they wanted specifically to be right here at Victory. We had pastors who are uh, in town from Indianapolis, from uh, the grandson of Lester Sumrall. He leads a church in Indianapolis. He sent some of his staff to be with us this weekend. We got people who drove 40 miles with gas prices like they are just to get to church today. How many of y'all drove more than 40, 50 miles to come to church today? Come on, can we give a warm welcome and appreciate people who are making the effort to show up to church? Gas prices are so high, I'm rollerblading to church these days. For real, I I've been rollerblading lately. Praise God. Well, Acts chapter 9, you know, last week we talked about how Saul, he got saved, uh, rode to Damascus, scales fell off. Uh, but this week we want to pick up in Acts chapter 9. We're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. And I want to title this message, This Isn't Permanent. Turn to someone next to you and say, This Isn't Permanent. And I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about Saul's change in his life because that's permanent. He experiences a real change. But he goes through seasons of rejection. He goes through seasons of pain. He goes through seasons where people don't believe that he's really changed. Not just him, but other disciples. They go through all kinds of different adversity, opposition. There's people in this chapter who are sick. They're lame. Um, some in this one person in this chapter who's literally dying and dies, and yet things turn around. And as I was reading the rest of this chapter, I was really encouraged to speak to people who are facing something that feels discouraging. You might have walked through something discouraging, but it's not permanent. Things are about to change. Something good is going to happen to you today. Expect a miracle, Oral Roberts. Expect a breakthrough. Why do, why do I say that? Because we serve a God who takes us from glory to glory, from strength to strength. We don't serve a digressive God. We serve a progressive God. We don't serve a God who takes believers from glory to defeat, from victory to destruction. No, he takes us from victory to victory. Get ready, get ready, get ready. So let's, I want to read the message version. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Ananias went and he found the house where Saul was, placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul... Jesus sent me, the same Jesus that appeared to you on your road to Damascus. He sent me to lay hands on you so that you could see again. It's time to get your vision back. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Somebody's just worshiping to it. I can see all the obstacles in my... Come on, the fog is lifting. <laughs> Y'all are like, where are we right now? We're at Victory Church. Uh, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Some of you are about to have a, a transformation in your life. God's about to remove the scales of pride, the scales of deception, the scales of shame. You know, when the prodigal son came to his senses, the scales came off, he realized, I'm supposed to be in my father's house. I'm calling back prodigal sons and daughters to Victory Church. Scales are coming off. Your prodigal husband, it's not permanent. God's getting ready to change things. I feel like I got something on my tooth. Do I have something on my tooth? Is there something there? Is there anything there? Okay, I'm good. Just felt it. You guys ever felt that before? You're like, something there? All right, it's real. We're going to edit that out in Jesus' name. No sooner were the words out of his mouth. Hey, it's going to, 11 a.m., it's going to get wild today. I just feel it. Something like scales fell from Saul's eye. I still feel like there's something on my tooth. There's nothing there. You guys aren't lying to me. Okay, all right, we're good. Um, scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got to his feet. He was baptized. I still feel like there's something on my tooth. You ever been there before where you just keep feeling it? All right, it's going away. I rollerbladed here. It's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> then Saul down, and he had a hearty meal, so he ate dinner first Wednesday. He was eating with Keyshawn and Emma and Josh and Becca. By the way, didn't Keyshawn look great today? Where, where is Key? He was wearing that nice suit jacket. And, and, and so Saul sits down. He has a meal with the disciples, and he gets his strength back. Saul spent a few days getting acquainted with the Damascus. Now, this had to be awkward because these guys, they thought he was coming to kill them. They thought he was coming to destroy the church. And now he's sitting down, he's eating with them, and they're kind of looking at him. But Saul went right to work. And his name hadn't changed yet. 
You don't have to wait on a name change to start a life change. You don't have to wait on a job change to start a new way of doing your job. You don't have to wait on a title to start walking in the leadership calling God's call. Come on, God has, if God has saved you, start walking out that salvation. Some people are waiting to change their life until a certain season comes, until someone uh, anoints them, until T.D. Jakes blesses their ministry or whoever it is that you are. Listen, you don't have to wait on someone else to approve you and appoint you when God has already saved you and delivered you. Saul started preaching. I love this verse right here. It says he wasted no time. We're in a season right now. We can waste no time. 2022, Jesus is coming back soon. I can feel it. Don't waste a second. Don't waste a second. Some of you right now, God's got you in church. He's getting your life in order before Jesus returns. He's saying, I had to get you off that path and get you back on the road, get you back in the house. So Saul wasted no time. He got to work. He started preaching in the meeting places that this Jesus was the son of God. They were caught off guard. Who was caught off guard? The disciples, the church people. They were caught off guard by this and they weren't sure if they could trust him. Suspicious believers. Have you ever been suspicious about somebody? You're like, hmm, I just don't know what I think about this guy. I don't know what I think about Paul. (laughs) Have you ever felt like people were suspicious about you? Like, people are suspicious about me. I'm suspicious about their suspiciousness. Everybody's just suspicious. I would rather err on the side of belief than suspicion. Like, I would rather err on the side of believing the best about people than suspicious that, that they haven't really changed I think it's a miserable way to live, to live in constant suspicion. It's one thing to have discernment. It's another thing to have suspicion. You know, like discernment is from the Holy Spirit. Suspicion is just the flesh. It's just a lack of love. But, but, but Saul didn't let their suspicion stop him, even though they couldn't trust him. And they said things like this. Isn't this the man? Look, they said, isn't this the man who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem? Don't we know about his past? Don't we know what he did? He's a bad guy. Didn't he come here to do more bad stuff to us, to us, to arrest us, to drag us off to jail in Jerusalem for sentencing by the high priest? So they were, they were rehearsing his past. I remember going on a mission trip with young adults. This was several years ago when we led the college ministry here at Victory, 2009, and uh, went on a mission trip. There were several young adults who came who had just gotten saved literally gotten saved like weeks before the mission trip and they just used their money that they had in their savings to go on this mission trip. When we were there, they had a life-changing experience. They had gotten saved. They started preaching the gospel, sharing their testimony. You know, many of them had come out of, by the way, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past. You all got a, how many of y'all got a past in this room? How many are thankful that you still got a future too? Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. And I don't care what sinner you think, you know, doesn't, God has a future for every sinner. And there's a past for every saint that's in the church today. But these, these new believers that got saved and started ministering on this mission trip with us, when we got back home to Tulsa, some of them came to me weeks after the mission trip and they said, pastor, pray for me. My friends that I used to do stuff with, they don't think I've really changed. There's family members who think that I'm still the same guy I used to be, that I'm still that same old Nick that used to do stuff that I did back then, but I've changed. I'm not who I was, Paul. I'm not who I was. I said, I believe you. And they said, I know you believe me, but I can't convince my old friends and family to believe me. Sometimes God is trying to set you free from the opinions of people who are holding you to your past. And God's saying, you need to say bye-bye. You need to wait. You need to love them from a distance because they didn't call you. So don't let them uncall you. They didn't qualify you. So don't let them disqualify you. You need to divorce the need to be approved by man so that you can marry the approval of God and obey what God has called you to do. Some of us are still connected to what everyone thinks about us. Well, we know about Saul's past. We know he hasn't really changed. We're suspicious. But I love what it says here in verse 22. Look at this. But their suspicions didn't slow Saul down for even a minute. My dad used to say this, the dogs bark, but the train keeps rolling. In other words, (laughs) I'm not calling dogs. What I'm saying is the enemy always whispers accusations. The enemy always wants to remind you, you're not changed. You're not qualified. You're unworthy. You're a sinner. You're a scumbag. We know what you did. I can keep going. I'll just stop right there. We'll keep it G 
victory rated right here. Scumbag is as far as I'm going. But there's always going to be a voice. We got to be careful whose voice we answer to. Do we answer to the critic's voice or to Christ's voice? Do we answer to the crowd or to Christ? To the critics or to Christ? Do we answer to what they have to say or what he has to say? They didn't make you, so don't let them break you. They didn't create you, so don't let them destroy you. There's always going to be critics, and there's always going to be a crowd, and the crowd is fickle. In one week, they shouted Hosanna to Christ, and the next week, they said crucify him. Like the same people who loved Jesus one week, hated him the next week. Same thing with Paul. People would love him and then hate him. Love him and then hate him. They'd call him a God in one moment, then they'd call him a demon in the next moment. Even Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. And then he also said, you're the rock. You know, like there's, there's, there's some moments where there's contradictions. But the good news is, I want to speak this over you today. You are a child of God. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are set free to live the life he's called you to live. And it says their suspicions didn't stop Saul's mission. Don't let their suspicions stop your mission. His momentum was up. His momentum was up. I remember hearing this story about a farmer. And um, this farmer had this donkey. This donkey was getting old. He had used this donkey for 30 years, plowed through the fields. And he got to the point where he felt bad because the donkey was like too old to keep going. But he didn't have like the courage to kill the donkey. And so he thought, I'm just going to bury the donkey alive. He didn't have the courage to kill him, but he, he had a, an old well. And he thought, I'm going to put the donkey in the old well, and I'm just going to bury him. I'm going to throw dirt over it, just bury the well, and bury the donkey alive in there. So he puts the donkey in the well, lowers him down there, and, um, and he gets his shovel. And he starts shoveling dirt on top of that well. And the donkey feels the dirt hit his back. And he's like, what's going on? Like, just imagine I'm the donkey for a second. It's not a hard thing to imagine. We're all a donkey sometimes. We're all a, a jack. So <laughs> it's the 11:15 a.m. service. It's, we're going to edit out some stuff. But <laughs> the dirt is hitting the donkey, and he's like, what did I do to deserve this? Are you done with me? Have I messed up that bad? Am I not good enough? Am I, are, you just, are you just getting rid of me now? I've worked so hard for you. And the donkey's thinking this and the dirt keeps hitting him. And finally, the, the donkey is noticing he's getting buried. The dirt just keeps on piling on top of him, piling on top of him. And the farmer is feeling bad, but he's like, I gotta do it, he's done. And then the donkey starts thinking, you know what? I could shake this dirt off and I could step on top of it. So every time a pile of dirt landed on top of that donkey, he shook it off and he stepped on top of it. And the farmer shoveled more dirt on top of that donkey and he shook it off. Somebody say, shake it off. And he stepped on. And finally, after about three hours of dirt, that donkey just went running out of that well because he had built up enough. Come on, some of y'all, the enemy has piled so much junk on top of you. Shake it off. Step on top of it. Move forward. None of their opinions stopped Saul from fulfilling his mission. What did he do? He shook it off. He shook off the dust of what people had to say about him. He shook off the dust of the opinions of man, and he stepped on top of it. His momentum was up now. He plowed. Look at that. He plowed straight into the opposition. I love that. He had the heart. He had the hide of a rhino, but the heart of a dove. Everybody say, rhino hide, heart of a dove. In other words, he had thick skin, but a soft heart. He was able to move forward even though people didn't agree with his calling. He disarmed the Damascus Jews, trying to show them that this Jesus was the Messiah. He preached the gospel. After this had gone on for quite a long time, there were some Jews who conspired to kill him, but Saul got wind of it. They were watching the city gates around the clock so they could kill Saul. Then one night, the disciples engineered his escape. I love this. They lowered him over the wall in a basket. I wish I had an illustrated sermon. I would put Antonio in a basket and just lower him down from the catwalk. And <laughs> who's holding your basket? Turn to the person next to you and say, who's holding your basket? Think about this. The guys who were holding the basket... Saul had to trust them. And there were people who didn't trust Saul. And there were people who were suspicious. This was a moment where they could have been like, oops, you know, drop the ropes and the basket goes. Poof. But they protected him. Why? Because they believed in his destiny. 
Thank God for people who will hold the basket and cover you and say, I believe in your future. I've got a plan for you. You're going to get through this, Saul. This is not how it ends. This is not your final chapter. This season isn't permanent. People want to kill you. People don't believe in you, but we see God has a plan on your life. Thank God for some basket holders, some people who see your potential, who see your future. Come on, let's be a basket holder for some other people in our lives. And we, we can say what they said. We see what God's doing in your life. Now, before Saul would go to Jerusalem, he would go to Arabia. How do I know this? He says it in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Can, I, can we do some Bible teaching for a little bit? Because the next verse in Acts 9 says he goes to Jerusalem. But the author of Acts skipped over a three-year internship that Saul walked out. And Saul did not intern at Victory Church. Saul interned in the Arabian desert. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin, he says. This is Galatians 1.11. I did not receive my, my calling from man. I, I did not receive my revelation of Jesus from secondhand information. Peter didn't teach me. Bartholomew didn't teach me. John Mark didn't teach me. He's saying, I had a revelation of Jesus. You need a personal revelation of Jesus. You don't just need Pastor Paul. There was a moment in my life when I was 18 where I said, God, I don't want to just have Billy Joe Darty's faith. I don't want just my parents' faith. I don't want just Sharon Darty's songs. I want my own songs. Lord, I want you to show me for who you really are to me. I want a Paul David Darty personal revelation of Jesus. God wants to give you a personal revelation of him. He wants to give you your own psalms. It's good to know David's psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's great. But I believe God wants to give you some psalms. God wants to give you a personal revelation. So Paul says, I experienced Jesus for myself. I saw him on the road to Damascus. He pulled off the scales of my self-righteousness. I used to be a destroyer of the church. I used to be a bad guy. Everywhere I went, I caused pain on people in the church. I persecuted people. I tried to destroy what God was doing. I was advancing in extreme religiosity, but I was far from God's heart. And watch what he says in verse 15. Galatians 1 15 he says but when God who set me apart come on life right here set me apart from my mother's womb God had a plan life began in the womb life began right there God was setting me apart God was God has a purpose for you wherever you're watching this from you are not a mistake you are here on purpose he called me by his grace he called me by his grace and he was pleased to show Jesus through me. So my immediate response, he says in verse 16, was not to consult what the religious people thought about me. Be careful where you run first to find your identity. And I'm telling you, even well-meaning, good Christian spirit-filled people can unintentionally hurt your identity. I grew up in church my whole life, and I've had people who were spirit-filled who just honestly unintentionally tried to put things on me that was not God's word. And we've got to learn to not run to people's opinions to find who we are in Christ. It doesn't mean people are bad. It just means they're not the ones who, who call us or qualify. It is God. It's God. And, um, and even my own dad, he walked through seasons where, where he, he knew he was called into ministry, but people said, no, you're called to do this. You're called. People told him he was called to be a forest ranger. Um, and, you know, like people told him he was supposed to work in a certain area and something in Arkansas. And people thought, no, you're supposed to do this. You're a football player. You're going to do this. And, and yet he knew in his heart God had called him to start Victory Church. And so you've got to know what has God called you to do. And he says, I didn't go up to Jerusalem in verse 17. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. So before he went to Jerusalem, we're going to read that in Acts uh, 9, verse 27. Before he went there, verse 24, he went to Arabia. And while he was in Arabia for three years, he was interning in the ministry of the desert, learning to hear God's voice. And I want to speak to you today about what do you, how do you stay encouraged when things feel permanent in your life, when seasons feel like they're not changing? Somebody say, this isn't permanent. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today, God. I pray, Lord, for every person in this room, man, woman, boy, girl, young, old, I thank you, Lord, that you've called us here today. 
And God, you wanna speak a word of victory in our hearts and our minds. Let us leave encouraged in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you, Carlos. All right, number one. Number one, listen to the voice of your heavenly Father. When you are feeling discouraged, when you are wondering, are things going to change? Who do I listen to? Listen to the voice of your heavenly Father. I heard, I heard this story about this famous uh, writer. He, he co-wrote Seinfeld and, um, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. His name's Larry David. He was sitting in a New York Yankees baseball game, 50,000 fans there. They put his face up on the jumbotron, big screen, and people started chanting, Larry, Larry, we love you, Larry. You know, people were cheering for him. He walks out after the game, and as he's going to his car, somebody drives by in a minivan, puts their head out the window and says, hey, Larry, you stink. You know, they said other things too, but we're keeping it G-rated this morning. And um, he said, he was sharing this in an interview. He said, one critic silenced 50,000 screaming fans. He said, that night I went home and I didn't think about what people were cheering me on. I thought about that one critic. And he said, for the next year, I spiraled into depression. I questioned if I've done anything good, if I've accomplished anything. Now, again, this is like a secular story here, but can I tell you today, if we're not careful, if we live off of the compliments of man, we will die off the criticism of man. If we live off of the thumbs up of critics, we'll die off the thumbs down. We'll, we'll be on a roller coaster of emotional health, a roller coaster of feeling good about ourselves. The only way to stay steady in the calling of God for your life is to tune into the voice of your heavenly father every day. Tune into that voice. And you know what? Your heavenly father is not an accuser. He's an encourager. Paul said this. I, when Paul was in Arabia, I think he was learning to hear the voice of God. And I think God was building things up in him. I think Paul was having a revelation before he would write Romans and he would say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Before he would write that famous scripture, for I am convinced nothing can separate us from the love of God. Before he would write, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He would have a personal revelation of the voice of God, the voice of God. It settles all the disputes. The voice of God settles all the opinions of man. When God speaks, all I need to know is the voice of God. What is God saying to me? Right now, our world is chasing after so many voices and people are listening. Did you hear what so-and-so said? Are you following so-and-so on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram? What do you think about what they say? What do we think about what God says? Well, who determines when life begins? I think God does. He's the creator of all creation. I think we should consult our creator before we consult all the political ideologies of our day that are here today and gone tomorrow. I think we need to listen to humans' opinion. No, I think we need to first tune into the voice of God. Who is your moral compass? Who determines your worth and your value? People? Political parties? Governors, leaders, presidents, no, your creator. He loves you. He's called you. He's forgiven you. He's redeemed you. He's got a plan for your life. And there's four things that God was speaking and building in Paul's life while he was in the desert. First, he was building Paul's identity. He builds our identity in the process. He builds our, when we're going through seasons that seem permanent, when we're going through situations, conditions that aren't changing, God is building our identity. He's reminding us who we are in him apart from what people say and apart from the circumstances we're in. You are not what you've done. You are not what's been done to you. You are not what job you're in right now. That's just a job. It's temporary. You are not what season you're in. Paul, I feel overwhelmed. I'm not married yet. We haven't had kids yet. I feel I'm stuck in this situation. I feel like I'll never get out of this problem, this addiction. You are not your habits. You are not what people have said. You are a child of God. Paul was learning to get the voice of God to confirm his identity. And if you'll get that in here, that'll start changing things out here. People think, until I change on the outside, I'll never know who I am on the inside. No, once you know who you are on the inside, then you can begin to change things on the outside. It starts in here. The battle is between the ears. It's the battlefield over your destiny. It's in the mind. It's in the heart. It's not out here. I've got to change my behavior. Then I'm a child of God. I've got to break free of addictions. Then I'm forgiven by God. I've got to get free. I've got to get married. Then I've got to have kids. No, no, no. You've got to get a firm identity. I am valuable because I'm a child of God. I'm redeemed because 
I'm a child of God. God is for me. Who can be again? I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he, he builds our identity. Secondly, he builds perseverance. So while God is speaking to you in the desert of Arabia, before you go to Jerusalem, before you continue in your mission, he starts building your perseverance. He starts showing you how to push through. It says that nothing slowed down Saul's momentum. Nothing would stop. What God, why? Because Saul was learning how to persevere. Saul would later become Paul, and he would write in Romans chapter 4 that God produces perseverance. When things don't go our way, God produces perseverance. In other words, he shows us how to keep moving. I ran a half marathon with, with Ashley a couple years ago. I need to run another one. But when we were running, um, there was a moment near the end where I started feeling like just, I can't keep going. We were in the 13th mile. There was, there was 1.1 miles left. And I just felt over, I was so tired. I was exhausted. I was losing strength. I was slowing down. I could just feel my body was starting to slow down. And I was thinking, man, I just wish that I could have done this really fast, you know? <laughs> and we're, we're a microwave generation that serves a crockpot God. We're, we're a generation that wants everything fast. We're an Instagram generation. I just need it now. I just want to finish the half marathon as fast. And God says, this is going to take some time. And I'm trying to build in you perseverance. I'm trying to show you how to go that extra mile. I'm trying to show you how to not quit in the 13th mile. Just because things haven't changed doesn't mean you are not close to your breakthrough. Not close. And sometimes we want God to move a mountain. And yet God's trying to move a mountain in us before he moves a mountain out in front of us. He's trying to move a mountain of laziness in, inside of us, fear, apathy, uh, self codependency on other people doing everything for us. God says, you're going to have to learn how to persevere, Paul. You're going to have to learn to run the race that I've marked out for you, to, to take off everything that's entangling you so you can run that race. So towards the end of that half marathon, there were people who started shouting for us. You got this. You can do it. In fact, my wife, she was like the biggest encourager. She was like, don't quit, honey. Don't quit. Come on. How many of y'all are thankful for a good wife in the room that cheers you on? A good spouse in the room. Pastor Ashley, she preached a great sermon the other night on Wednesday night called Better in the Battle. If you missed it, you need to go and watch it on YouTube. It's so good. And, um, but the whole idea of perseverance is, is choosing not to quit. So we got to the end of that finish line, and I pressed through because I could sense the encouragement. I could feel that I could feel Ashley stirring me up. Don't quit. She was saying that today during worship time. Don't give up. You are closer to your breakthrough than you realize. Thirdly, he builds character in the process. As you're tuning into the voice of God, he's going to speak to you on areas in your life, in your heart, where he's trying to grow you. He's trying to produce in you character. And lastly, he builds hope in us in the process. He begins to stir us up to believe and to hope and to know that God's not finished. This isn't permanent. Things are about to change. Something good is going to happen to you today. Things are going to get better. God's working all things. To, and listen, Paul would later on write in Romans that we call those things that are not as though they are. We speak those things that are not as though they are. We walk by faith. We declare things by faith. We believe and hope. David would understand in his process. Everyone goes through a wilderness. Everybody goes through an Arabia season. David went through it. He was anointed to become the king, but it would be 16 years before he was actually appointed as king. Moses, he, he was called to go and deliver the people out of Israel, out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land. But it was 40 years between when he fled from Egypt and then he saw God in the burning bush and went back to Egypt. So he was in a 40-year wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert, tempted by the enemy. Did you know right before Jesus went to the desert, God stamped him with an identity approval? This is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. Jesus needed to have that firm identity before he went into the wilderness. Paul was learning in the Arabian Desert. Arabian nights, like Arabian days. I don't know the rest of it. One step ahead of the bread line, one move ahead of the sword. I steal only what I can afford. Aladdin, Arabian nights, diamond in the rough, rough, rough. Pastor Ashley, can I see your, your ring for a second? Here's what happens when God leads you through a wilderness season. He begins to shape you and mold you. 
he begins to cut. A diamond is not beautiful until it goes through a cutting process. What makes a diamond shiny and valuable and beautiful is that it's gone through the heat. It's gone through the pressure. It's gone through the cutting process. There's always a cutting process process. If you're going through a season right now that feels painful, you must be getting prepared for a victory that's going to be greater than you've ever seen before. So tune into the voice of God. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Saul's lowered in a basket, and then in verse 26, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him. Here he goes through rejection again. So the first rejection happened in Damascus. We're suspicious about you. Three years in the desert, internship, life change, missions trip, Saul's growing, he's turning into Paul. And now in verse 26, second rejection. He comes to Jerusalem and Peter looks at him and goes, I don't trust this guy. John Mark goes, I don't trust this guy either. Matthew, Bartholomew, we don't trust him either, you know? We're suspicious about, we don't want him around. Seats taken. You guys ever seen Forrest Gump? Where they're like, seats taken. Can't sit here, Forrest. But then that one girl, she's like, you can sit by me, Forrest. I got a seat for you right here. There are so many people in the church who have a seats taken mentality and have like a members only jacket, like us four, no more. But I'm so thankful for the people who say, you can sit here, Saul. I believe in you. I got a place for you. Forrest, you can be with us. We got a spot. Let's be the kind of church members that welcome in people who may not be what we thought they should be when they came. We don't card people at the door. You don't have to behave to belong at victory. You don't even have to believe. You can come as you are. Well, Paul, I think we need to card people at the door. Did they sin last night? You sinned too before you came into church with your impatience in the minivan in the parking lot. Listen, all of us in this room are saved by grace. None of us are better than another believer. Let's welcome in all the people that came in. Whether you had an abortion last week, whether you got in trouble last week, whether you just got out of jail, come to victory. What good is the church if we only let people in who haven't sinned in the last week? Listen, this is a house. This is a hospital for the hurting. This is a house for people who need grace, who need hope. And Jesus says we should gather all the more as the day is approaching. Listen, you don't have to clean up to come to Christ. You come to Christ and he'll clean you up. You don't have to get your act together to come into the church of God. You can come in a mess and watch what God will do and transform your life. Saul came in and he was like, I'm here. And they were like, leave. You're not one of us. (laughs) And that's got to hurt. Church hurt hurts. When you've been hurt by the church, you're like, I thought, I thought. I thought, I thought there was more grace. I thought there was more mercy. I thought our Savior exemplified more love. And we've all been there before. We've all been on both sides, probably. We just didn't realize it. But thank God in verse 27, Barnabas took Saul and he brought him. But Barnabas. Somebody say, but Barnabas. Thank God for Barnabas. Barnabas took him and said, this guy's got a calling on his life. This guy has changed. He's not who he used to be. See, Barnabas didn't just believe in Saul. Barnabas endorsed Saul. It's one thing to believe in somebody. It's another thing to take a picture on Instagram with them. You're like, we believe in you. We just don't want to be known as friends of you. But thank God for the Barnabases that will say, I believe in this guy. I believe in this guy. Three things we can learn about Barnabas is he believed in Paul before anyone else did. I've talked with investors uh, and they say the greatest return on your investment is when you buy really low. Like when you buy when it's already a known stock that's taking off, you're going to make some but you're going to make so much more if you will invest when nobody's investing in it. 
Can I tell you, I am thankful for the investors who looked at me when there was no one who believed in me and said, I believe in this kid. He's a mess. He's kind of wild. He, he's, he's weird. He's a little different. He plays the guitar. He's kind of, he, he does weird illustrations, but God's got a calling on his life. God's going to do something through his life. When I look at my five kids, Mac, especially in Jesus name, I'm praying for our four-year-old right now, but Lord, I believe in that kid. He's got a calling on his life. Thank God for some Barnabases who will invest in you when no one else will, who will see the potential in you and call it out. Secondly, he endorsed Paul's leadership. I want the band to come up. He endorsed Paul's leadership. He opened doors for Paul that Paul couldn't open, which means that every church Paul started, every book that Paul wrote in the New Testament would be credited back to Barnabas's leadership. Barnabas didn't have a famous ministry like Paul did. In fact, we don't hear a lot about Barnabas the rest of the New Testament. But if it wasn't for Barnabas, there would be no church of Ephesus. There'd be no book of Philippians. There'd be no first and second Thessalonians. There would be no Romans. We need to do a series on Romans. Barnabas helped Paul find his voice. Barnabas helped Paul find his ministry. Paul's ministry took off in Jerusalem because Barnabas, thirdly, empowered Paul to reach his potential. Who are you empowering? Who are you encouraging? Barnabas had nothing to prove. He had nothing to lose. He had nothing to hide. He was a servant leader. He was an encourager. His name actually meant son of encouragement. Barnabas brought him. And from that moment on, look in verse 28. From that moment on, Paul began to move freely in Jerusalem. Because of Barnabas' endorsement, Paul began to speak boldly. He got more courageous from Barnabas. So I told you I was going to tell you a few points here on on how to remain encouraged when things aren't changing for the better. So number one, listen to the voice of God. Number two, be your best encourager. Be your best encourager. Before you can have a Barnabas, you've got to be a Barnabas. You've got to be an encourager in your life. There was a moment where David was surrounded by his own guys. They wanted to kill him because he made a dumb decision. Um, This was before he was the king when he was living in the caves and he was surrounded by broken men and women. And, 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 and there was this moment where David kind of like made a bad decision and all these guys wanted to stone him. And it says he encouraged himself in the Lord. First Samuel 30 verse six, he just began to speak encouragement. You've got to learn to talk yourself into the victory God has for you. So often we are listening to discouragement and then we are dissing ourselves we're literally just saying, oh, I'm so unworthy. I'm so unqualified. Why did I do that? Uh, uh, uh. But you've got to learn to shake off the dust and step on top of it. You've got to learn to speak life. I am more than a conqueror. I will live and not die. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He pays for my gas prices. He takes care of my needs. He's Jehovah Jireh. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I have learned the secret to contentment. Whether I am abounding or I'm abased, I've learned to be happy in whatever situation or circumstance I'm in. If this doesn't change, God is still good. He's still with me. He's still faithful. I've not come to seek blessings. I've come to seek his face. Paul had to encourage himself in Arabia so that he would know how to encourage himself when he was in the prison with Silas. He learned how to encourage himself in the dark when nobody was watching so that he could be the encourager when everybody in prison was listening in Acts 16. And he started singing psalms and hymns to the Lord with shackles and the prison doors opened up. Where did Paul get the chain-breaking prison playlist of worship songs that he had in Acts 16? He found it in Acts chapter 9. He, you, who you are in the Arabian Nights, who you are when things aren't changing for the better, that's your real character. Your character is not when you miss it. Your character is what do you do when you're walking through that mess? Do you stay down? Do you stay defeated? Do you talk yourself into depression? Just give up on God, give up on church, give up on life? Or do you run back to the house and say, God, I need you. Lord, I'm counting on you. Write a new song in me. Write a new word in me. Write a new book in me. Teach me how to persevere. Grow my character. Purge me of sin. Purify me from the inside out. Make me more like you. Teach me to sing when there's no song to sing. Teach me to preach myself into victory. 
See, the sermons I preach when no one's listening are the best sermons. I've had some of my best church services when it's just me and God in a room all by myself. And I say, thank you, Jesus, that you're not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me. I wrote the victory confession on a napkin in my car when I was so depressed in 2013. Wanted to give up, wanted to quit. Come up to church on a Saturday night, 4.50. There's like no cars here. And I was like, God, nobody wants to be at church tonight. You don't even want to be at church tonight. I don't want to be at church tonight. But God said, change the narrative. Start speaking life. Start encouraging yourself. Be your best encourager. And when I started encouraging myself, when I started speaking faith, my best days are in front of me. God's not finished with me yet. I was talking to someone who's battling suicide not too long ago, and they said, Paul, how did you overcome depression? How did you get through it when you wanted to throw in the towel, when you were on the bridge and you almost jumped and you were afraid and you were overwhelmed and life just felt so bad? How did you get through that? They were like, just, just help me. I just need to get through it. I said, it's going to take a lot of work because it didn't happen overnight, but it started with changing the words I was speaking and changing the voice I was listening to in my head because I was listening to the voice of the accuser and I had to tune into the voice of the encourager. And then I had to change the language of defeat into a language of, you can't live a positive life with a negative mouth. You gotta speak life. You gotta be like Ezekiel the prophet. You gotta walk into the valley of dry bones in your apartment, in your house, in America, in your nation, over your marriage, over your family, over your prodigal son, and you've got to say, I speak life in Jesus' name. I prophesy breath in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that an army is rising up. Revival is coming in Jesus' name. You've got to learn to prophesy in the supernatural and stop letting the natural determine what you're going to say. You've got to see it in here before you see it out there. You've got to believe it in here before you see it out there. Thirdly, you need to surround yourself. I've got to surround myself. We've got to get around encouraging people of God. And we've got to be one for others. I'm almost done. When Saul got connected to Barnabas, his ministry took off. But he was, he was already learning to be an encourager before he met Barnabas. We've got, to, we've got to get around people who are encouraging. And we've got to be one for others. We've got to be a real friend to people when they're in a low place. How do you know who a real friend is? How do you know who a real friend is? I'll tell you. Here's the test right here. Get in trouble and see who's still with you after you've been in trouble. That's who your real friends are. People who will walk with you and say, I'm with you, I'm praying for you, I'm not giving up on you, God's not finished with you. God's gonna do great things through you. People you could call in the middle of the night, but to have someone like that, you gotta be somebody like that. I just wish I had some real friends. Why don't you be a real friend to somebody else? Why don't you be a Barnabas that comes alongside of us all and says, I believe God has a plan for you. Number four, number four, here it is right here. Fourth point, last point right here. Keep moving with faith and believing that God is shifting things for your future. Now, let me finish this chapter because this is where it gets really good. This is the last point. So the churches throughout Judea began to multiply. Paul almost got killed again. He almost gets killed like several times. People really hated Paul. Thanks for naming me after him, mom. Um, <laughs> she's like, you got a purpose, you got a plan. We're gonna name you after the guy that people tried to kill all the time. Um, but churches took off. They were multiplied. Now it came to pass in verse 32, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydia. And he found a man named Aeneas. This is, I, these names in the Bible are tough to pronounce sometimes. You're not, you don't know what to say there, but he was paralyzed. He had been bedridden for eight years. Eight years he was in a condition. Eight years. Some of you have been in a situation for eight years. This isn't permanent. Something's about to shift. Some of you have been stuck in a legal situation for eight years, but it's not permanent. It's about to change, Johnny Depp, in Jesus. I'm just, and, and Jesus Christ, heal. <laughs> Edit that out. Peter said to the guy who had been in a situation for eight years, 
Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately he got up. Something is changing in the atmosphere. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Listen, God's going to use what you walked through to draw other people to Christ. You got a testimony. Your mat is your message. What you went through for eight years, that addiction, God's going to use that to set other men free. You're going to be preaching in jails. You're going to be preaching in rehab centers. You're going to say, hey, I was here, but God set me free. I was lost but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It's all part of your testimony. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Come on, Dorcas. We love you, Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Listen, there are some hidden heroes in the Bible, and we don't get to hear a whole lot of their story, but they're the ones who built the church. Dorcas was a church builder. Everybody needs a Dorcas in their life. Thank God for, somebody say, thank God for Dorcas. She changed. Did you know this last week? We had a, a lady in our church who's been with us for decades. She went on to be with the Lord in heaven, Nancy Levi. And I was telling her son, your mom was such an impact in this church. We are a church made up of so many women and men whose names you may not know. People like Don Malott, who helped build the Tulsa Dream Center. People who went on to do great things for God that we don't even know about, but they changed the church. This lady was one of them. About that time, she became sick and she died. Her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. People thought, this is the end. This is the final chapter. This is, the, this is how it all ends. But because Lydda was near Joppa, when the disciples heard that Peter was close by, they urged him, please come at once. God's going to lead you across people this week. He's going to use you to speak life in the midst of their deathly situations. God gonna, God's going to use you to encourage somebody who's discouraged right now. God's going to use you to pray for a married couple this week. God's going to use you to speak life to a single person this week. God's going to use you to pray for someone who's hurting right now, who feels like their life has died on the inside. They're depressed. They're suicidal. But God's going to send you across their path to interrupt the narrative in their mind, to speak a better word. So Peter went with them. People were weeping. They were crying. They were showing him all all that Dorcas had done, all the generosity she had shown. And Peter said, everybody out of the room. What was he doing? He was getting the room ready for a miracle. It's time to get your room ready for a miracle. It's time to get all of the accusations out of the room in your mind and say, I'm about to step into my destiny. I'm about to speak a better word. When he knelt down and prayed, he said the words, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and she saw Peter and she sat up and he took her by the hand and he helped her to her feet. In other words, he says, you've got a testimony. Get moving with faith towards the future that God has for you. Get up with faith and start moving towards the mission God has for you. He called for the other believers. He said, this woman you called dead, this marriage you called dead, this situation you called over, it's back alive again, better than it was before. And when people heard the testimony, they put their faith in Jesus. Will you stand your feet all over this place today? Come on, God has a miracle testimony for you. Whatever you're facing right now, it's not permanent. Whatever situation you're going through right now, it's not permanent. Would you just close your eyes all over this place? We're going to go into a song of worship. We're going to sing that song, Waymaker. And I want to pray for any person in the room who's believing on something to shift. Maybe it's a season you're in. Maybe you felt discouraged. Maybe you feel like there's been relational discouragement in your life. Maybe you've walked through something where you just feel loss. You feel grief. You feel pain. You're trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces of your heart. You're trying to figure out how you're going to get through this. You're trying to figure out if God still has another chapter for your life or if this is the final scene. And I, I came to speak this word to you today. Like Peter said, Tabitha, get up. It's your time. Roll up your mat. It's time for you to move towards the new season God has for you. This season you've been in isn't permanent. This Arabian desert season, this season of waiting on what God has next, God says it's time for you to start encouraging yourself in the Lord. It's time for you to start being an encourager to other people. It's time for you to release that Barnabas spirit inside you, to start laying hands and believing and, and confessing a better future over people around you. I just believe God's saying that to parents in the room today, to start speaking that over your children. I, I hear God saying that to speak it over your spouse, to speak it over your, your, your grandchildren in the room. For some of you, you need to speak it over your parents to say, God, I thank you. You're not finished with my dad. You're not finished with my mom. Lord, I thank you that you're changing things in our nation. 
I heard people say yesterday, I never dreamed I would see this in my lifetime. I never imagined in my lifetime I would see what I saw this week in our nation. God's about to change things, and it's going to feel like a suddenly. But I'm telling you, there's parents who have been praying for decades for that change to happen. There's grandparents who marched for that change to happen. There's people who've been on their knees in tears. We are standing on the shoulders of giants in the faith who plowed ground so that we could see a change in our own lives. God says this isn't permanent because there's too many people who've been praying for your future. There's too many people who have been covering you in prayer. They, they lowered you in a basket. They had a plan for your life. The enemy had a plan for your life, but God had a better plan. God's delivered you for a purpose. He has delivered you for a destiny. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here right now, and you just know the Holy Spirit speaking to you, that, it, that it's time for a new season. It's time for hope to rise up inside you. It's time to become your biggest encourager. It's time to tune into the voice of the Lord. Some of you, today, you need to shake off some discouragement. You need to shake off some apathy. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand all over this room. God's talking to you today. God's calling you to be a Barnabas. God's calling you to keep moving forward by faith and believe that things are about to shift in your future future. God is calling you to stand and speak by faith. Secondly, there's a group here today and you say, I am not right with God and I need to surrender to God. I need to get things right with the Lord today. If that's you, today is your day. Just raise your hand. You're saying, yeah, I need to surrender. I need to give him my heart. Awesome. Here's what we're going to do. If you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand for either of those, or you just know you need to get to the altar today for prayer and for worship, I want you to leave your seat and come and join me at this altar. And we're just going to begin to sing this song. And as we do all over this room, I want us just to stir up our faith that God is shifting things in the future. Yeah, the situations that we don't even know about, circumstances we don't even know about. This is not permanent. This is not a permanent thing you're in right now. God is moving for your future. He's changing things. He's moving pieces around. He's showing you who he's called you to be. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you work. Your work can never stop working.
for every person in this room. God, you know what they've walked in here with. You know what they've, they've gone through. Lord, I thank you that every sinner has a future. God, every saint in this room has been redeemed from their past. God, I thank you, Lord, that whatever they're walking through, it's not permanent, that things are changing. God, we just speak that over every circumstance that we're unaware of. We just pray right now, God, that you would work behind the scenes. Work through them, God. Work in them. Move the mountain inside of us before you move the mountain outside of us. Lord, I pray that you would produce in us a true dependence on you. Change areas in our hearts, God, that need to be changed. Purify us. Make us more like you in this process. God, renew our minds and our hearts. Redeem us for your purpose. I thank you, God, today. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I thank you, God, that today you've reminded us of the power and the purpose of life. God, that you have called us to move forward, that you have called us to live with faith, that you've called us to be encouragers to people around us. Just say this with me. Jesus, I surrender to you. I repent of my sin and I receive your forgiveness. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I trust in you that you're working even when I don't see it. Even when I don't feel it, you are working all things together for good. Something good is going to happen in my future. I'm expecting a miracle, a breakthrough for your glory, a testimony to point people to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not finished. My best days are right in front of me. And I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Amen. And amen.